1 Peter chapter 1 verse 18, we're just in this, this moment, a few weeks, I've got a couple more parts that we may be able to get to at a later date, talking about the reality of redemption. I shared last week a driving story, and uh, for those who are here, one of those moments where you're heading along, you forget where you're going, and thankfully the kids are in the back reminding you, Dad, where are we going, where are we headed? I had another moment, slightly different, but on a similar vein this week as I got up very groggily one morning heading to the gym and I pulled into the gym car park. The good news is that was actually where I was going. So I thought, praise God, I'm where I set out to go to. The problem was, as I sat there and sort of came to, I thought, how on earth did I get here? Anyone had those moments? You think, was I just translated? What just happened? I mean, it's a half an hour drive from my house to get to the gym. And I had no recollection at all. So you take a brief moment, a a look around to make sure there's no police officers following you. And I was concerned maybe I'd caused a few crimes along the way. But we we easily uh, slip into autopilot at times. We need to be reminded where we're going, how we're going to get there. And I, I did want to say as an aside, someone came to me last Sunday. They said, Andrew, you're telling a lot of driving stories between roundabouts and Handbrake Hill and now you don't even know where you're going and this particular person, he said, every time I see a blue ute now, it's like my blood pressure (laughs) goes through the roof. I think, here we go, it's the next sermon illustration just waiting to happen. So I wanted to allay your fears and assure you that I am a very good driver. There's a few blemishes on an otherwise impeccable driving record, I can assure you. And I've decided I will tell no further driving stories for the foreseeable future. But here's the point. We, we, we just need to live with this reality at times, remembering who God is and what he's done for us. And that's exactly what Peter says here in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. He says, or the end of verse 17, he says, Conduct yourselves with fear, with awe, with reverence throughout the time of your exile, remembering we're passing through. There's glory awaiting us, untold glory. But while you're here... Live with fear, live with awe, live with reverence. And verse 18, know, and that means to continue to know, continually keep in your gaze this reality that you were ransomed. Says the ESV, New King James, many other translations say that you were redeemed. And certainly the context of the word is the same as we would use it in English. To ransom something is to pay a price to Purchase back that which is yours. Exactly the same as redemption. To redeem something is to go and pay for something that was already yours, but you're purchasing it back for yourself. So he says, live with this reality that you have been ransomed. I've been ransomed. You've been ransomed. You have been redeemed. Finishing off the passage, as he says, from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. And if you read on from verse 20, he says, and and never forget that this is not some afterthought. This is not patching up the mistake that was made. This is the very purpose of God before the foundation of the world, from eternity past to eternity future. The reality of a God who would come and ransom. He would come and redeem a people through the power of his blood. That's not 
a subplot. It's not some nice theme that forms part of the story. That is the thread that stretches through from when time begins and it began until when time concludes of the reality of the redeeming, ransoming rescue of our God. And hopefully at that point, most of us would say, Amen. Amen. Yes, we agree. That, that is the truth. But the problem I see is that it's far too easy for this reality of a God of ransom, of the power of the cross and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It, it becomes at times obscured. It becomes sometimes not even intentionally just pushed to one side. I see that. I'm sure you do too, just in the world around us. It's so easy to get caught up in other things. And it's worth having that calibrating moment, thinking as, as a church, if we removed Christ and his blood and his redemption, would it make any difference? Because for many movements, for many churches, I would suggest that you could take Jesus out of the equation and the cross, and maybe he's there off to the side, but it could be weeks, it could be months before anybody would notice. We're caught up in you know, humanistic philosophies, in good things, whilst being distracted and having our attention taken away from the one thing. You take that away, what have we got left? We've got nothing. We're built upon the blood of Christ. We're sustained by his blood. Personally, just take this to a personal level. If you took away from your life the redemption of Christ, what would we have left? I mean, the answer is obvious, isn't it? It should be, we've got nothing. What have we got apart from Christ? We have absolutely nothing. Through him, we have everything, but without him, we have nothing. And yet for so many believers, perhaps they would say, well, you know, Jesus is there, he's in frame, but maybe off to the side. Maybe he's there to some degree. He, he's something, he's a good figure. He, he kind of helps me just live a better life and do better things. Or is he our everything? The one who has redeemed, who's rescued who pulled us out of the pit. I love that picture. We read this morning in the Psalms. He's, he's rescued us. He's put our feet upon a rock. He's crowned us with love and mercy and grace. Without him, we have nothing. I am nothing. I have nothing. My life is built upon no other foundation but the blood of Jesus Christ. As the hymn says, all other ground it's sinking sand. It'll swallow you up before you even recognize what's happened. So that's part of my heart is to just explore the reality of the redemption or the ransom of this king of glory. And we're doing it in this way. We're looking at some of the Greek words. There's two in the English. There's at least four. Some Greek scholars that argue and say, well, there's at least six. There's more. There's less. That's what they get paid to do. For us, for our purposes, we're taking a couple and allowing them to reveal to us, I pray and I hope, some realities. Bringing it back front and say, what, what does it mean? Last time, if you were with us, we looked at a particular Greek word. Who remembers what it is? Okay, that was pretty good. There was a few people there. Agorazo. Agorazo. Any Greek speakers? 
fantastic, well, I can tell you my pronunciation was perfect. Pronunciation, <laughs> you were okay, but I want to bring to our attention, well, oh, sorry, let me review that one. So agorazo, this, this Greek word that literally means to go to market and to pay a price, to purchase, the purchase price. Oh, there we go. We've got the one from last week. Fantastic. Thank you. To buy or to redeem. And so we looked at this theme, not only in the redemption of, of God through the cross of Jesus Christ, but of this God who provides. Every time something happened, Adam and Eve in the garden, when they royally mess up, there's a God who provides. As Abraham steps out in faith, he doesn't know, he puts it all on the line. There is a God who provides. And he proclaims, of course, he says, on this mountain, at this place, the Lord will provide. And the Lord did provide in the most radical way. The blood of the spotless lamb, as John said, behold the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So we see constantly this God who provides. So are you ready for your Greek word for this morning? Well, I have to tell you, I've actually got two or possibly one and a half. There's some technicalities here and you'll understand what I mean as we go on. So if you've got the first slide, we looked at agorazo and I have here an extension of this word. We see this used in Galatians 3.13, Galatians 4.5, Ephesians, Colossians and elsewhere, which is the same root word, but you'll notice rather than agorazo, this in fact is the word ex agorazo. And this, as you'll see on the screen, is a strengthened form of that original word, which meant to buy. This one means to buy out. But there's a specific context. Rather than a purchase in general, this particular word is used specifically in the context of purchasing a slave with a view to his or her freedom. So you see that that picture is, is narrowed. It's not a general purchase. It is a purchase that is related intrinsically to freedom, or we could say to deliverance. Now here's a new word. There's your point five. That's your bonus points this morning. If you go to the second one, I want to bring another particular word. And who would like a go at pronouncing this particular one? Nobody. Who's brave enough to have a crack? This, this one gets... Well, that's not bad. Yeah. Lutrauel, 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 you want to try that on the count of three? One, two, three, Paul's already correcting me, you can correct me afterwards. We won't even try. It's a little tricky to pronunciate, but there it is on the screen. Now this particular word, as I said, still translated as redemption or as ransom, and very much still in the picture is a payment of a ransom. But again, we see here the reality of a liberation that comes from the payment of ransom. Or another definition is to deliver. I love this. To deliver from evils of every kind, internal and external. Isn't that a great picture there? What does it mean? We are redeemed. We are ransomed. Well, there is one, that means, who has paid the price for you. And not only is he a God who's provided, I mean, that's wonderful enough, but he's a God who has paid so that we would be delivered. And this, this theme of deliverance is, 
is massive. It's through scripture. It's even in the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. He says, deliver us from evil. The deliverance of God who has delivered, who continues to deliver, and ultimately our hope is in the one who will deliver. So last week we looked at redemption being God's provision. As I said this week, I want us to reflect for a few moments together on what this means. Redemption as this picture of God's deliverance. He delivers us. Look, travel to deliver from evils of every kind, internal and external. Now, I, I did have this, I said this last week, I had this kind of dream in mind. Do you know how you kind of, you think, well, this is what's on my heart and this is how we can do it. And the, the picture was one of looking at these words and then exploring through Scripture because all of these have, have themes that extend right the way back from the beginning, all the way through. Now, tracing these scarlet threads of redemption through the Old Testament, then as soon as I got into that, I realized that was a, a journey in and of itself. We'll be here literally until the Lord returns and beyond. But I do want us, as we pick up on these words, as we allow, hopefully, our hearts to be stirred at the reality and our focus to be put back centrally upon the reality of redemption. I do want us to see just some snippets, even if they're very brief, of the redemption, and in this case, the deliverance of God through Scripture. We looked last week at Adam and Eve in the garden and him providing. I talked about the, the fact that not only did he provide the garments, but fascinating prophecy in Genesis 3 where he talks about the seed of the woman, this phrase that troubled the, uh, the Jewish rabbis for years. What, what the seed of the woman? We all know that the seed doesn't come from the woman. But from the seed of the woman would come the one who crushes the head of the serpent, being Satan. So right back there, there's this thread of God saying, not only am I going to cover you, but I'm going to deliver. I will be your deliverer. Here's some other just favorite examples of mine. Think for a moment of Joseph. I feel a bit for Joseph. Anyone like the story of Joseph? There he is. He has his pretty coat. He's just this, this loved up little kid, his father's favorite son. And he has this promise, not just a promise. He has these promises from God. And he's just rejoicing and delighting God. Thank you. And telling everybody who'll listen, this is what God's going to do. And probably overstepped his mark just a little. And yet, Despite having these promises from God that he, he delighted his heart in, life goes from bad to worse. Anybody else feel like that at times? You know, you get this promise from God. God says, here's what I'm going to do with your life. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, how come things just went from bad to worse to even worser and worser and worser? Pardon the English. So there he is, of course, Joseph. He's got these promises. He finds himself sold in slavery. He finds himself working his way up only to be falsely accused. In the midst of the dungeon, a few possible opportunities for his release as God allows him to interpret dreams. 
but it's right there in the midst of the most helpless and hopeless season of his life that God moves. God delivers him and in turn, God uses him as the deliverer of his people to the point where he proclaims, I love this testimony of Joseph. He said, what you meant for evil, he says this to his brothers when he finally meets them, God meant for good. Isn't that a wonderful promise to hold on when you're in those seasons? What you, what the world, what circumstances, what the enemy meant for evil, still God can use those things for good. See, God is a God who broke through for Joseph, who delivered him from all of those different seasons and then ultimately into a place where he was the second most powerful person in the land. We talked a little bit last week about the provision of the Passover lamb, this incredible picture of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The story, of course, didn't end there. It was that moment as the angel of death passed over that uh, the Pharaoh, whose heart had been hardened, finally he releases the people of God. He says, go, get out of here. And so they head off. But it doesn't take too long until Pharaoh's heart is turned from grief to anger. And he musters the entire Egyptian army to come after the people of God. And we, of course, find this scene as Moses is there with one million, two million. We don't know a whole lot of people. And they have a sea before them. The enemy behind them. And they've got the sea before them. And just when it seems all hope is gone, the Lord tells Moses, put your staff in. We know the story. The waters part. And there the people go through on dry land. And it's literally the context is that close that when the last person passes through, the waters close back down and the Egyptian army is drowned. Now, if I was Moses and we read on, he sings his song of praise, I think I'd be having a quiet word to the Lord and say, Well, Lord, thank you for your deliverance. Could we maybe just do that whole parting the water about 24 hours early the next time around? You know, like if it was just open up and we walk through and save all of that stress, I think he probably would have had a few more gray hairs to show after that scenario. And so the story goes on. We find three friends in the fiery furnace. They refuse to bow down to the statue of Nebuchadnezzar. And so he heats up the fiery furnace. And what do they find as they're thrown in? There is the God who they believe and they worship, the God of the ages, right with them in the midst of the fiery furnace. I love the story of Peter in prison. Fast forwarding the other side of the... Uh, the work of Christ, he's there and it seems like there's a lot of hopeless circumstances and situations going around. There's persecution, there's people getting martyred for their faith and Peter's sitting there and he clearly wasn't expecting the Lord to deliver him, certainly not in that way because an angel shows up and he, he just thinks it's a dream. The angel's like, oi, get up, wake up, stand up to your feet, come on. It was only at that point where he's like, oh, this is actually happening. We're actually doing this. And he walks straight out of the prison. And he goes to the house of the believers who are praying. And another fantastic picture is they're, they're all there praying for his release. He knocks on the door. The servant girl opens and says, oh, it's, it's just Peter's angel. <laughs> and walks off back. I mean, what were they expecting? 
as they prayed and sought the Lord for the deliverance of Peter. So he bangs on the door again. They're like, oh, it's really him. Let him in. Fantastic. You see, there's this reality, isn't there, of a God who delivers his people. Whether it is Joseph, whether it's the people of God from the might of the Egyptian, the Egyptians, whether it's in the fiery furnace, whether it's in the midst of the prison. There's a God who delivers us. And of course, we cannot talk about this without the most radical reality of deliverance. As Galatians 4 puts it in verse 3, it says this, In the same way we also were enslaved. We were slave. We were slaves. We were in captivity to sin to the elementary principles of the world. Galatians 4.4 but when the fullness of time had come, in God's perfect timing, although it seemed that all hope was lost, God sent forth his son, born of the woman, born under the law, to redeem, there's that word in that instance, it says ex agarazzo, to redeem, to purchase for us our freedom. And then he goes on, it gets even better so that we might receive the adoption as sons. And if you, did, if you thought that wasn't good enough, then verse 6 is even better. And because you're sons, God sends his spirit into our hearts. We cry out, Abba, Father. And we're not just sons, we're heirs with him. And thus completes this glorious picture of his redemption. A lot of that is beyond our time this morning. Because what I really want to focus on is the reality of his redemption being our deliverance. So put yourselves now. We've talked about some of these other stories. And remember, these are not just stories to entertain us. Stories so that a pastor can get up and preach a sermon. This is our heritage in the Lord. These are stories that... God has worked out in the lives of his people that for us, we can grab a hold of these things too. They have great applicability, great power in our hearts, but none more so than this particular reality here. See, we don't like to think of ourselves as slaves. That's not a pretty picture. And in many ways, we're removed certainly from the full reality of human slavery in our society. Some would argue that it's still as bad, possibly even worse in terms of the traffic of, of, of slavery, sex slavery, etc. in our current society. But we certainly don't go down to any markets as people in this particular era would have and see the trade of human lives as property. So that would have been the case in this particular Roman culture, slaves were an expensive property. Now, it was possible for slaves to be set free, but it was an incredibly high price that would need to be paid, and slaves themselves couldn't earn or own any property. So they relied purely on the, a beneficiary with someone who would be generous enough to pay the price for their freedom. So not only were they expensive and were they in this helpless predicament, if you read the context of the society, the time slaves were 
were paraded in their captivity. People would come past. They'd often do all sorts of horrible things to these particular slaves to test their durability. They'd often be asked to, to be disrobed. They'd be publicly humiliated and sold off as another man's property. And you know, it's into that place steps Jesus. Steps the one who was spat upon, the one who was publicly ridiculed, the one who was disrobed and who hung upon a cross. His hands and his feet pierced with nails. And as he breathes his last upon the cross, he cries out, It is finished. To Stelstein. Another translation very equally could be paid in full. Paid in full. He has paid the price for our freedom. In fact, it's exactly what he said he would do. Luke 4.18, as Christ begins his ministry, he said, I've come to proclaim good news. To bring the good news and the very second thing, to proclaim liberty to the captives. There is freedom. There's freedom. The center of sin is bondage, but the center of redemption is this deliverance from sin. It's a deliverance for freedom, and that's another message in and of itself. But it is our deliverance. We see this reality in no greater, no more powerful way as we survey the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we see the price that he paid for us, and as we recognize his deliverance in our lives personally. And here's how I want to kind of land this. This is, this is what's been stirring on my heart this particular week. We, we see, as I've said already, this picture of a, a deliverer all the way from the beginning to the end. There is a deliverer. And yet we also see these people who are so quick to forget his deliverance. Moses in Exodus 13, as he's coming towards the end of his life, and he's looking back and he, he says this, he says, Remember the day in which you came out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by the strong hand of the, the Lord it was that you were brought out of this place. He goes on, Deuteronomy 4 verse 9, he says, Take care and keep your soul diligently. Literally he's saying there, protect this, guard this. You could say, talking about the deliverance of God, wrap this around you. Never, never lose sight. This is something to hang on to, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and to your children's children. And on he goes. He's saying, make sure you never forget your deliverance. Do whatever you can, remind yourself, wrap it around you. Make sure you tell your children and your children's children. Let, let it be always not only central in your mind, but central in, in your life. 
in the things that you say, the deliverance of God. He's led you out. He's rescued you. And we all know exactly why Moses would say such a strong, give such a strong reminder to his people. Because if we look at that story, God leads them out. And what happens within a week? They're complaining about water in the desert. In a matter of months, they're, you know, Moses has gone up the mountain to meet with God. And they're like, well, this isn't working out. Let's just make something more comfortable. Let's get all the, you know, the jewelry together and we'll form our own little, little baby cow and we'll worship that instead. And I don't know how many times I've read that story and I'm sure you've read it too. And you just think, how does that work? I mean, did these people not see the miracles? Did they not see the hand of God at work? Did they not witness him parting the waters and delivering them through? Did they not see the entire Egyptian army destroy? I mean, what, like, how do you get from that place to this? All of a sudden, they're like, well, we're a bit thirsty. Well, probably God's not big enough for this one. I mean, he's just delivered us from the most mighty nation on earth, but I mean, I'm thirsty. Like, what, what goes on? And if you're like me too, you then think, well, if that was me, anyone thought that? If that was me, I mean, that would not be happening. I would not be forgetting the deliverance of God. I would not be forgetting all that he has done. And yet I would suggest there is a far greater deliverance that has happened for you and I. We have been delivered from ultimate captivity and yet we too need to be careful that we do not forget the deliverance of our God we are prone to forget how quick can I find myself in situations God you know well I know you've stepped down from glory you've defeated the powers of darkness you've broken the power of sin you've triumphed over the grave resurrection power is flowing in me but you know, I've got this circumstance and I'm a bit thirsty and I don't really know that you're big enough. I don't, I, I don't know. How quick are we to forget our own deliverance? We take the God of the heavens, all that he's done and all that he is, and just kind of reduce him down to something a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more familiar. See, I want us and I want to be someone like David. And I'll finish with this. If we can get the worship team back up. David didn't always get it right, but there was a few moments in his life where he really got it right. And as he comes to meet with the, the armies of the Lord as they're facing the, the enemy Philistine warriors... We know the story well. Goliath's there. He's taunting the people of God. And David comes along. He puts up his hand. He's like, what's going on? I can do this. 1 Samuel 17 verse 37. David says to, to King Saul, he says, well, the Lord has delivered me from the lion, from the bear, and the Lord will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. You see, what was it that he was doing? He was so aware of the Lord's deliverance it was wrapped around him there was no shadow of a doubt that the God who had delivered him would deliver him now and his hope was in a God that whatever happened his God was able to 
deliver him. And of course, we read on the story and he comes out against Goliath. Goliath taunts him. He says, am I a dog that you send me a bone? Like, who are you? You're a little boy. Come to fight me. And then David says this, 1 Samuel 17, verse 45, says, David said to the Philistine, to Goliath, you come to me with a sword and a spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head, and I'll give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. He gets a little excited here. And he finishes with this phrase, so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. There's a man who is so aware of the deliverance of God that he's like, God's going to deliver me today. Echoes the, the words of Paul. He says this in 2 Corinthians 1.10, the God who raises the dead, who has delivered us from so great a death, who does deliver us and in whom we trust that he will deliver us still. Our God is a deliverer. I want you to stand. We're going to finish just with a song of worship this morning. I'm praying that this theme of a God of deliverance would just be proclaimed over us and that again it would take central view. That's, that's what it means for us to be the redeemed of the Lord. It's a God who has delivered us. He has. He's delivered us. He's paid the price. A God who is delivering us. And a God who we can place our hope in because He forever will deliver us. That's what He does. Whatever the trial, whatever the circumstance, whatever the situation, we can have hope that there's a God who by His outstretched arm delivers His people. It's just who He is. Romans 8, it says, if He, if he hasn't spared His Son, like if He gave us everything, then how much more will He not give us everything that we need? How much more will He not work for the deliverance of His people? So it might be this morning that wherever you're at, that there is a need of the deliverance of God. Whether it's from the the sin, the weight of sin, whether there's, there's shame, whether there's bondage in your life, there's addictions, there's things that you just cannot overcome, I want to encourage you that there is a God who is your deliverer, that your strength lies not in your ability to work these things out, but your Ability to trust in the God who is your deliverer. Maybe that for some of us, there's the circumstances, there's situations. 
There's trials like the fiery furnace. There's enemies encamped against us. There's whatever it might be. I want to proclaim over you and your life that there is a God who is your deliverer. He has delivered you. He is delivering you. And place your hope in Him this morning. That He will always be the one who breaks through. So Father, we thank You. We thank You for this picture. I just pray that in some way, Lord, cause that reality of a God who has delivered us to resonate in our hearts, God. May we never forget it. May we never lose sight of it. And as we remember it, may we again put our faith and our trust and our hope afresh in the God of deliverance. Lutrawell, the one who delivers us from evils of every kind, internal and external. So let's just join in a song of worship together as we finish at the end of that time. If you need prayer for anything, it would just be a joy and a privilege to stand with you as we conclude the song as well. There'll be the prophetic ministry, which will happen over on my right and your left. And you're welcome to go and avail yourself of that. But let's just finish with a song of worship, proclaiming who our God is this morning.